You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. I would invite you to take your copy of the Word of God, turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews and the 12th chapter. I trust this will be a familiar passage to you. You may have heard it preached on numerous times. And we want to look at that today. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning with the first verse. Paul starts out by saying, therefore. Always in the scripture words, therefore, it hearkens to what has come before. And so before he's talked about the priesthood of Christ, his finished work on the cross. He talked about the heroes of faith in chapter 11, those that have gone on before, because they have trusted in the finished work of Christ and been faithful in the race that God has called them to run. And so he says in Hebrews 12, 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And then the first two words of verse three, consider him. Look to Jesus, consider him. Would you pray with me? We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to look into your word today. And we pray that Christ would be exalted as we think about, and meditate, and talk about him and what he has done for us. As we think about the race that you've called us to run, Lord, equip us for that through the Spirit working through your word in this hour and in the days to come. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Every four years, the eyes of the world are glued on our TV sets for the Summer Olympic Games, which are held in Tokyo this year, as you know, delayed one year because of the pandemic. And so we have the 2020 Olympic, Olympic Games being held in 2021. <laughs> Centuries ago, when the original games were held in Greece, the events were of two basic types. There was running and there was wrestling. But now they have been expanded to include, besides the track and field events, archery, badminton, basketball, boxing, canoeing, kayaking, cycling, diving, equestrian competitions, fencing, gymnastics, handball, you got your breath yet? Field hockey, judo, pentathlon, rowing, sailing, shooting, soccer, swimming, table tennis, taekwondo, tennis, volleyball, water polo, weightlifting, and wrestling, and maybe one or two more. Since various kinds of running events are still most, probably some of the most popular events in all the Olympics, and the Olympics are now in full swing, I want us to consider for the next couple of uh, moments, or for the next uh, few minutes actually, 
Any similarities there might be between running a race in the Olympics and the Christian life? Oh, there are several similarities, I assure you. In fact, there are at least nine. First of all, we must qualify in order to be eligible to run. Generally, Olympic-class runners will have spent several years training for their event. They spend endless hours strengthening their bodies so that every muscle, every fiber will be able to perform at maximum speed, power, or endurance. Not only that, they compete for several months or even years in national and international events. They must excel by winning various races, accumulating titles and medals and trophies on the way to achieving their Olympic dream. Now, all this takes place before they're awarded the right to even compete in the Olympics. Then they can qualify to represent their country on the Olympic team. To qualify as a Christian, we must begin with the recognition that God is a holy God, that we are all unworthy sinners, and that we have nothing to offer him to make amends for our sins. Yeah. To qualify as a Christian, you first got to admit you're a sinner. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The scriptures are abundantly clear that we are already under the just condemnation of God. And if we continue in that state, we will experience his wrath and banishment from him forever in an eternal hell. But, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a sinless life and qualify as the spotless sacrifice and substitute for every person who believes in him. So when the Holy Spirit comes to us and convicts us of our sins, he also grants the gift of repentance and faith to believe in Jesus Christ who died and took our sins upon himself on the cross. Now, I want to stress that we are not qualified or eligible in and of ourselves to run this Christian race. Jesus Christ qualifies us by his death on the cross, his resurrection life, which he now lives in every single believer who loves him and obeys him as Lord. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, for our sake, God made him, Christ, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we're qualified to enter the race because he qualifies us. Secondly, we're part of a team. In the Olympics, all the athletes represent their respective nations, and they wear the designated uniform and colors along with their fellow team members. Though some events are individual competitions rather than team contests, each team member gives his utmost for the good of the team and for the glory of his nation. At the end of the competition, the total medals are tallied, including the medals won by each individual person, each individual team member, and thus each athlete contributes then to the overall success of his team. The better each person performs, the higher will be the team's standing 
at the end of the competition. Now, each new believer becomes a member of the body of Christ and is endowed by the Holy Spirit with special gifts for service in and through the body. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Thus, each believer, when you come to Christ, you become a part of the team, the church, the body of Christ for the purpose of bringing glory to the Lord through your service or through our service to one another in and through the body. You know, there are no Lone Ranger Christians just like there are no Lone Ranger athletes that come and participate in the Olympics on their own, by themselves, under their own flag. They serve as part of a team. That's why membership in church Membership in our church is so important. To be a member means that you're not only wearing the team colors, but that you are participating in the field events, in the track events, and playing on the field. You're actively serving the Lord through this team called First Baptist Church. Some people have the idea that attending worship service in Sunday school is in itself, serving the Lord. My friends, if you're not using your spirit-given gifts in some form of active ministry for Jesus, you may be wearing the colors. You may be wearing the uniform. But if you're not down there on the field playing or down there on the track running, you're just a spectator in the stands. The third similarity it requires a great deal of training, self-discipline, and personal sacrifice. You know, runners train long hours. They spend lots of time in grueling practice to perfect their form, skill, strengthen their bodies for the events. Every world-class athlete is willing to give up TV, and parties with friends, and lots of other things they might otherwise rather do to focus completely without distraction on their preparation for their event. If they get lazy and take a day or two off, their friends may not notice it, but they will begin to notice it, and believe me, their coach will notice it also. A runner who gets slack with his preparation will lose some of his, some of his muscle tone. The layoff will dull his mental image his mental edge, his psychological intensity, and his desire to achieve the ultimate victory when his event comes. Thus, he's willing to give up many normal activities for the larger goal of winning that gold medal. I once heard one Olympic gymnast say that he had not watched TV in over a year so that he could devote all of, extra, all of his extra time to training for his event. The Christian's primary goal in life is to please his Lord, his Savior, who said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. 
For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever is willing to lose his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Luke 9. The Apostle Paul put it in perspective when he talked about his own approach to self-discipline. He said, Do you know or do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it in order to receive a, a perishable wreath, but we do it to obtain an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I may become disqualified. 1 Corinthians 9. The fourth similarity between the Christian race and Olympic runner is we both have a starting point and a finish line. The runner completes his routine of stretching and loosening up his muscles, takes his position then at the starting line with his feet securely in the blocks. Every muscle is taut as he awaits the starting gun. The electronic clock begins when the starting signal is given and not a millisecond before. If a runner lunges out of his starting blocks before the gun sounds, it's recorded as a false start. And there must be a restart. If a runner is guilty of as many as three false starts, then he's totally disqualified and cannot participate in the race. All his Preparation, down the drain. If, on the other hand, a runner has a legitimate start, he runs with all his might toward that finish line. Often, the runner will break the tape with both arms raised high in an exultant shout. And why shouldn't they? After all, the things he's given up to run and win that race. Well, it's wonderful to see a new believer begin with a great sense of excitement and anticipation in following the Lord. But you know, it's possible for someone to profess to know Christ and follow Him and be disqualified through a false start. Jesus talked about those who give a false start in Mark chapter 4. You're familiar with that parable of the sower and the seed? In Mark chapter 4, Jesus then summarizes what the parable means. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. First, false start. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. They have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Second false start. Others are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. 
But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in, and they choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Well, there's the third false starter among would-be Christians. But that's not the end of the story. There are those that start with a legitimate start when the gun sounds. But those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So Jesus taught about the possibility of false starts and legitimate starts as we begin our work with the kingdom. We all know people who've made a, quote, decision for Christ, and as we call it, a profession of faith. But then they fizzled out after a while. They made a profession, but didn't have possession of Christ's true presence within. It was not a lasting commitment. On the other hand, when one makes a good start through genuine repentance and faith as in, in Christ, repentance and faith in Christ as their Lord and Savior, he begins to learn and internalize the Word of God. He begins to bear fruit and so gives authenticity to his profession. He has become a true disciple of Jesus. That kind of faith will endure. But a faith that fizzles before the finish, that kind of faith was flawed from the first. Mark it down. Oh, my friends, I trust your faith in the Lord Jesus will carry you all the way to the finish. The fifth similarity. We must get rid of unnecessary weight and anything that would hinder doing our best. Each runner before the race takes off his warm-up clothes as he approaches the starting line. It's easy to see that he has lightweight clothing that allows maximum freedom for the demands of the upcoming race. And he has special track shoes that are very strong and super light to help him run with good traction, freedom, and efficiency in the race. As Christians, we are admonished in our text here today to lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. One version says, lay aside every weight and the sins which do so easily beset us so that those things would not drag us down spiritually. Little sins that we allow to kind of creep in now and then become big sins later. They may be light now, but they become much heavier later. Paul tells us, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. Romans 8, 13. So it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we get rid of the sin and the encumbrances that hinder our running the race for Christ. Paul goes on to say, all who are led by the Spirit of God, that is, in killing sins in this way, through the power of the Spirit, they are the sons of God, Romans 8, 14. My friends, this is one way we know we're know we Christians is we want to kill the sins that beset us in our lives. The closer we walk to Jesus in obedience to his word, the more we will be free from sin in our thoughts and our words and our actions. The sixth similarity 
is we have spectators cheering for us as participants. You know, a good part of the encouragement that the athlete receives is from fans and supporters who are sitting in the grandstand cheering for him both before and during the race. When he sees his team colors waving, he hears them screaming his name, it gives him a renewed sense of strength with every stride as he moves toward the finish line. Well, as Christians, do we have fans in the stands? Do we have supporters who are cheering for us? Do we see our colors waving by those who know how difficult the race is and are encouraged us to keep on going? <laughs> we surely do. In our text, we read that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Who are these people? These people in this cloud of witnesses who are cheering us on in the Christian race. Well, they're the heroes of the faith who have gone on before us. Not only those who are mentioned in the previous chapter, chapter 11, who some are named as great heroes and others are unnamed, but they've lived out the life of faith and they're cheering us on now from glory. Well, they're now with Jesus, not only watching how we run, but encouraging us with their words, testimony, testimony and witness as to how they came through and met the challenges by faith. And they're encouraging us to run like they did so that we can be victorious as they were. And their encouragement should really strengthen us as we run the Christian race. The seventh parallel or similarity is we must have endurance to complete the race. You know, the short races, the sprints, don't require much endurance, just flat out speed. Yeah. But it's the longer races, the longer distance races in which the runner's legs become like rubber and the lactic acid builds up in the muscles and the legs, the lungs burn like fire. Still, he runs, hoping to get that second win so that he might at least finish in the top three. The writer of Hebrews encourages us as Christians to run with endurance the race that is set before us. There are two things that will help us to endure as we run the Christian race. First of all, if we lay aside those things that would hinder us, those sins and the weights and attitudes and habits that cling to us so closely, they hinder our Christian life and they hinder our endurance. We will not have all that baggage to carry around in the race if we get rid of it. We'll be free to serve and follow Christ in all that he calls us to do. The second way we can have endurance for the race is we have God's promises. Hundreds of them. Yes, thousands of promises that are available to us in God's word to encourage us in that race. Promises like Isaiah 31, 40, 31. They who wait on the Lord shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know, this Christian life is more like a marathon than it is a sprint. Have you figured that out yet? That was, yes. 
Sometimes we think we'll never make it to the goal. Oh, my friend, let us not grow weary in this Christian race for the joy, the joy of the Lord is our strength. We heard that when Pastor preached from Nehemiah chapter 8 a while back. We're not running in our own strength, but in the strength that God supplies. For we can do all things through Christ, like Paul, as he said in Philippians 4. So it's God's grace that is working in us that enables us to keep on going, as we say, keep on keeping on for Jesus. So Christian friends, let us run with endurance all the way to the finish line in the strength of the Lord. Somebody summarized the Christian life this way, very succinctly, very powerfully, very graphically. The Christian life is a long obedience in one direction. Once more, the Christian life is a long obedience in one direction. And the direction is following Jesus. But it's a long obedience in following him. It's consistent. So we've got to have that endurance. Number eight, we must keep focused on the goal. Obviously, for the Olympic runner, his focus is on the, the tape that's out there stretched across the finish line. For the sprinter, he can see it dead ahead, and he lunges toward it with all his might. But the distance runner may be running several laps around the track. He will not see the actual tape with his physical eyes until the very last lap. All the way through the grueling race, lap after lap, he visualizes that tape, and he sees himself breaking it well in advance of the others. Then on the last lap, yes, as he rounds the final turn, his eye catches that tape, and he will split it right in two as he breaks, he crosses the finish line in a matter of seconds. Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us as believers that we have a focus too. He says we are to keep our eyes on Jesus. Yes, we are to fix our eyes. Keep fixated on Jesus, the founder, the author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And when he finished that, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So let us be single-minded like Paul, who said, this one thing I do. I'm forgetting what lies behind. I'm not going to look back, Paul said. I'm straining forward to what lies ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, Philippians 3. Last of all, one more similarity, one more parallel, the Christian life and the Olympic runner's race. We anticipate rewards at the completion of the race. In ancient Greece, the winner received a wreath of leaves or a garland of flowers to put around their neck. Today's Olympic champions receive, as we know, gold medal for first place, silver for second, bronze for third. How valued and coveted are those gold medals? Over time, however, as the runner gets older, his muscles begin to atrophy 
the joints begin to stiffen along with the realization he just cannot compete at the level he once did. Along with that, the wreath loses its leaves. The gold medal begins to tarnish and lose its luster. That championship he won back then has now become a distant memory. Well, the Bible gives us two great pictures of how it is when a child of God finishes his race and crosses that finish line where Jesus waits to receive each one who has persevered in the race. The first one is the picture of Stephen, the martyr, first martyr of the church, who was stoned to death for his testimony, for his belief in the Lord Jesus. With his dying breath, the scripture says, full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Standing, mind you, not sitting. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Yes, my friends, Jesus Christ is standing there at the finish line to greet us as we enter heaven's gates. Dear ones, will that not be worth all the price we paid in self-discipline to see him and maybe exhausted fall into his waiting arms there at the finish line? Oh, it'll be worth it. The second picture, very graphic picture of one who is anticipating rewards, the Apostle Paul. In his second letter to Timothy, he wrote, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. You know these words. He said, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race and I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to everyone who has loved his appearing. My friends, God has a reward for all who faithfully run and finish the Christian race. He has a crown that is eternal, that will never tarnish, waiting for us. That crown far surpasses any kind of medal that might be won in, on this earth. It will not fade with the passing of time. It will not become just a hunk of dull yellow metal. It's for all of God's children who finish the race. It's for those who look for him to come again, who are eager to see him appear in all of his glory. And as I close, I just want you to know It'll be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So let us faithfully, bravely run the race until we see Christ. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, none of us have finished the race yet. We're all running. We're all in process. We're all moving toward the goal. Some a little farther along than others. 
some stronger than others, but all encouraging one another and being encouraged by that great crowd of witnesses cheering us on and by the strengthening promises of your word and by the Spirit who is in us to empower us in this race. So as we run, may we keep our eyes on Jesus who finished his course and then calls us to walk in his steps. And we can as we do it in his power. So Father, as we come to this portion of the service, help us to know who's in the race, who's not in the race. Help us to know if we need strengthening, we need to lean on one another. Help us to know, Father, at this point, on this Lord's Day, how we can be more faithful to you in this race. So speak, Lord, in the hearts of all your people gathered and in the hearts of each heart of each individual today. Accomplish your work well. During this part of our service, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together as we sing? I'll be down front to welcome any whom the Lord moves in your heart for any decision you might have to make today. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.